Chapter 18. When I came in the back door, I almost mowed down Tori. Have fun putting out the trash, she asked. I glanced back through the frilly curtains to see Simon near the shed. I could have said that he'd been helping, or better yet, pointing out that Derek was there too, if she'd look closer. But I didn't see much point. Derek blamed me for getting him into trouble. Simon blamed me for getting Derek into trouble. If Tori was going to blame me for poaching her non-boyfriend, so be it. I couldn't work up the energy to care. Ray was quiet all afternoon. Tori's comments about her parents not visiting seemed to have brought her down. At break, we got permission to go upstairs before classes and move the rest of her photos to our room. Thanks for helping with this. I know I don't have to clear out right now, but if I leave one of these, Tori's liable to toss it out and say that she thought I didn't want it anymore. I looked at the top photo, one of a blonde girl about three years old and a slightly older boy who looked Native American. Cute. Friends? Kids you babysit? No, my little brother and sister. I'm sure my face turned bright red as I stammered in an apology. Ray laughed. No need to be sorry. I'm adopted. My mother was from Jamaica, or so I'm told. She was just a kid when she had me, so she had to give me up. That, she pointed to a photo of a Caucasian couple on a beach, is my mom and dad. And that, she pointed to a Hispanic girl mugging for the camera with a Donald Duck, is my sister, Des. She's 12. That, she waved to a solemn-faced boy with red hair, is my brother, Mike. He's eight. A very multicultural family, as you can tell. Five kids? Wow. Jess and I were adopted. The others are fosters. Mom likes kids. She paused. Well, in theory. We walked to my room. She looked. She took the stack of photos from me and put them on her new dresser. As she moved her Nintendo DS aside, her fingers tapped in the scratched plastic. You know how some kids are when they get a new gizmo? For weeks or even months, it's the coolest, best, most interesting what's-it they've ever owned, and they can't stop talking about it. They carry it everywhere, and then one day, they're all hyped up over some new gadget. There's nothing wrong with the old one. It just isn't as cool and new anymore. Well, that's how my mom is. She turned and walked to the bed. Only with her, it isn't gadgets. It's kids. Oh. When they're little, they're great. But when they get older, not so much. Ray sat on the bed and shook her head. Yeah, I'm probably being too hard on her. You know how it is. When you're little, your mom is so cool and she can't do anything wrong. But when you get older... She stopped and blushed. No, I guess you wouldn't know that, what it's like. Ugh, I'm sorry. It's okay. I sat on my bed. Your dad never got married again? I shook my head. So who looks after you? As we headed down to class, I told her about Aunt Lauren and the endless succession of housekeepers, making her laugh with my impressions and forgot about everything else, at least for a little while. That afternoon, during my session with Dr. Gill, I put on an Oscar-worthy performance. I admitted that, as she suspected, I had might be seeing ghosts. Now, after hearing her diagnosis and letting my medication take effect, I understood that I had been hallucinating. I was a schizophrenic. I needed help. She totally bought it. All I had to do now was keep up the act for a week or so, and I'd be free. When classes ended, Ray and I did our homework together in the media room. Simon passed the door a couple times, and I thought maybe he wanted to talk to me, but when I stuck my head at the door, he disappeared upstairs. As I worked, I thought about that patch of fog in the yard. If Derek hadn't seen it, too, then I might have mistaken it for a ghost. But why had he pushed Simon? Why was some? Why was some? Oh my gosh! <clears throat> was Simon somehow causing my hallucinations? Some kind of special effects? Sure, it would explain the ghosts I'd seen. That would explain the ghosts I'd seen at school—holographic projections created by a guy I'd never met. Right. 
But something was going on, or at least that's what Derek wanted me to believe. By refusing to explain and making a big deal of refusing, Derek wanted me to do exactly what I was doing right now, driving myself nuts, wondering what he wasn't telling me. He wanted me to go to him, begging for answers, so he could taunt and torment me some more. There was no way Simon or Derek could have created the ghosts at school, but that fog would be a simple effect to pull off. Maybe Derek had done it. That's why Simon had protested, and Derek had shut him up. Was Simon afraid of his brother? He pretended to defend him and act like best buds. But what choice did he have? He was stuck with Derek until his father returned. Where was his father? Why had he enrolled Simon and Derek in a school under false names? Why was Simon even here if he didn't have a file? I had too many questions. I needed to start finding answers. We were cleaning the table after dinner when Mrs. Talbot came into the dining room with a man she introduced as Dr. Davidoff, the head of the board that ran Lyle House, with only a thin circle of hair and a huge sharp nose. He was so tall he seemed to be permanently leaning down to hear better. With the hair and the nose, he bore an unfortunate resemblance to a vulture, head tucked down, beady eyes behind his glasses. This must be little Chloe Saunders, he beamed with the false hardiness of a middle-aged guy who doesn't have kids but never stops to think that a 15-year-old girl might not like being called little Chloe Saunders. He awkwardly clapped me on the back. I like your hair, Chloe. Red stripes. Very cool. He said cool like I say a Spanish word when I'm not sure how to pronunciation. Ray rolled her eyes behind his back and then came, then came around front. Hey, Dr. D. Rachel. Oh, sorry. Ray, right? Are you keeping out of trouble? Ray flashed a perky smile, one custom made for adults she had to suck up to. Always, Dr. D. That's my girl. Now, Chloe, Dr. Gill has made you had great, quite a breakthrough the, today. She's very pleased with your progress and how quickly you fit into the, the therapeutic routine and accepted your diagnosis. I tried not to squirm. He meant well, but being a good patient wasn't something I wanted to pu be publicly congratulated on, especially when Derek had to stop eating, had stopped eating to watch. Now run along, take your meds, and be a good girl, Dr. Davidoff continued. Now, normally, I don't meet with our young people until they've been here at least a week, but since you're speeding right along, Chloe, I didn't want to hold you back. I'm sure you're eager to get back to your friends in school as soon as possible. Yes, sir, I copy Ray's perky smile, ignoring Derek's heavy gaze. Come along, then, and we'll chat in Dr. Gill's office. He put his hand on one shoulder to propel me out. Tori stepped in front of us. Hello, Dr. Davidoff. That new medicine you gave me is working great. I'm doing really well. That's good, Victoria. He absently patted her arm and then led me out. The session was similar to the first one that I had with Dr. Gill filling in the back room. Who was Chloe Saunders? What had happened to her? How did she feel about it? I'm sure he could get all this from Dr. Gill's notes and she'd stay late to visit or to sit in. But it was like a cop movie where the detective interviews the suspect, asking all the same questions as the last guy. It's not the information that's important, but it's how I tell it. What's my emotional reaction? What extra details did I add this time? What did I leave out? For all his false hardiness, Dr. David Davidoff was Dr. Gill's supervisor, meaning he was here to check her work. Dr. Gill had a stiff, intense posture leaning forward, squinting at me as she raced to capture every word, every gesture, like a student afraid to miss a key point for the exam. Dr. Davidoff took his time getting a coffee for himself and a juice box for me, relaxing in Dr. Gill's chair, chatting me up before we started. 
When he asked whether I'd had any hallucinations since I'd been here, I'd said yes. I'd seen a disembodied hand the second morning and heard a voice later that day. I didn't mention yesterday, but honestly, that had all been fine today. I sailed through the session without a hitch. At the end, he told me I was doing fine, just fine, and patted me on the back and led me out of the office. As I passed the open media room, I glanced inside. Derek was at the computer, his back to me, as he played what looked like a war strategy game. Simon was also playing a game on his Nintendo DS as he sprawled sideways in the recliner, legs draped over the arm. He'd noticed me and straightened, lips parting as if ready to call after me. If you're going to grab a snack, grab me a Coke, Derek said, attention fixed from the screen. You know where they're hidden. Simon paused, gaze shunting between us. His brother was giving him the perfect excuse to sneak out and talk to me, but he still hesitated, as if sensing a setup or a test. There was no way Derek knew I was there, behind his back, yet Simon slouched in his chair. If you want a Coke, get it yourself. I didn't ask you to get me one. I said, if you were going. I'm not. Then say so already. What's with you tonight? I continued down the hall. I found Ray in the dining room, homework spreading across the table. You've got a DS, don't you? I asked. Yep, only Mario Kart's on it, though. You want to borrow it? Please. It's on my dresser. I walked past the media room doorway again. The guys were still there, looking like they hadn't budged since I last passed. Again, Simon glanced up. I waved Ray's DS and gestured. He grinned and shot me a discreet thumbs up. Now to find a place within range. I had a DS at home and knew that I would be able to connect with another one within 50 feet. The media room was sandwiched between the front hall and the classroom, both off-limits for hanging out. But it was also right under the bathroom, so I went up and started a picto-chat and prayed that I connect to Simon. could connect to Simon. I could. I used the stylus to write my message. You want to talk? He drew a check mark and then wrote a D followed by a picture that, after a moment, I realized was an I. Yes, he wanted to talk, but Derek was keeping an eye on him. Before I could reply, he sent another D and eight question marks, a box with a soap drawn in it, surrounded by bubbles. It took a minute, but I finally interpreted it as Derek has a shower around eight. He erased it and drew an eight, followed by a yard. Meet him outside at eight. I sent back a check mark. Chapter 19. At 7.50, I was helping Ray empty the dishwasher. From the hall, I heard Simon ask if he could go out back and shoot hoops while Derek showered. Mrs. Talbot warned that it was getting dark and that he couldn't stay out for long, but she turned off the alarm and let him go. Once the dishwasher was empty, I told Ray I'd catch up with her later and then slipped out after him. Mrs. Talbot warned dusk was falling already. Huge shade trees bordered the jeep yard, casting even more shadow. The baseball net was in a patch of concrete be- or the basketball net was on a patch of concrete beyond the reach of the porch light, and I could only see a flash of Simon's white t-shirt and hear the thump, thump, thump of the dribble ball. I circled the perimeter. He didn't see me, just kept dribbling, eyes fixing the ball, face solemn. To keep keeping within the shadows, I moved closer and waited for him to see me, and when he did, he jumped as if startled and then waved me to an even darker spot on the other side of the net. Everything okay? I asked. You looked busy. Just thinking. His gaze swept the fence line. Can't wait to get out of here. Just like everyone else, I guess. But Ray said you've been here a while. You could say that. A shadow passed behind his eyes like he was scanning his future, seeing no sign of release. At least I had some place to go. They'd been in child services. Where would they go from here? He bounced the ball hard and managed to smile. Wasting our time, aren't I? I've got about ten minutes before Derek tracks me down. First off, I wanted to say I'm sorry. Why? You didn't do anything. For Derek. 
He's your brother, not your responsibility. You can't help that he, what he does. I nodded towards the house. Why didn't you want him seeing us talking? Will he be mad? He won't be happy, but he caught my expression and let out a sharp laugh. You mean, am I afraid he'll beat the crap out of me? No way. Derek isn't like that at all. If he gets mad, he just treats me the same way he treats everyone else. Ignores me. Hardly fatal, but no, I don't want to piss him off if I can't help it. It's just, he bounced the ball, gaze fixed on it. After a moment, he stopped and flipped it in his hands. He's already mad that I defended him. He hates that. And now if I'm talking to you, trying to explain things when he doesn't want them explained? He twirled the ball on his fingertips. See, Derek's not really a people person. I tried not to look shocked. When he decided you might really be seeing ghosts, I should have said, sure, bro, bro let me talk to her. I'd have handled it. Well, different. Derek doesn't know when to back off. To him, it's as simple as adding two plus two. If you can't figure it out yourself and you don't listen when he tells you the answer, he'll keep slamming you until you wake up. Running away screaming doesn't help. He laughed. If Derek kept coming at me, I'd be screaming too. And you didn't run away. And you didn't run anywhere today. You stood up to him, which, believe me, he's not used to. A grin. Good on ya. That's all you have to do. Don't take his crap. He took another shot. This one dropped gracefully through the hoop. So Derek thinks I'm a necromancer? You're seeing ghosts, right? A dead guy who talked to you, chased you, and asked for your help? How did you... I stopped myself. My heart thumped, breath coming hard and fast. Just said I, I just convinced Dr. Gill that I accepted my diagnosis. As much as I longed to trust Simon, I didn't dare. How did I know? Because that's what ghosts do to necromancers. You're the only person who can hear them, and they all have something to say. That's why they're hanging out here, in limbo or whatever. He shrugged as he t tossed the ball. I'm not clear on specifics. Never actually met a necromancer. I just know that what I've been told. I inhaled and exhaled before saying, as casually as I could, I guess that makes sense. That's what you'd expect ghosts to do when people who... That's what you'd expect ghosts would do to people who they can talk to. Mediums, spiritualists, psychics, or whatever. He shook his head. Yes, mediums, spiritualists, and psychics are people who think they can talk to the dead, but necromancers can't. It's hereditary. He smiled. Like blonde hair. You can cover it up with red streaks, but underneath, it's still blonde. You can ignore the ghosts, but they still come. They know you can see them. I don't understand. He flipped the ball and caught it in his open palm, and then he murmured something. I was about to say I couldn't hear him when the ball rose, levitating. I stared. Yeah, I know. It's about as useless as a patch of fog, he said, gaze fixed on the levitating ball, as if concentrating. Now, if I could lift it more than a couple of inches, maybe top off that hoop and then slam dunk it every time that'd be a trick but i'm not harry potter and real magic doesn't work that way that's magic i said the ball dropped into his hand you don't believe me do you no i he cut me off with a laugh you think it's some kind of trick or a special effect well movie girl get your butt over here and test me i get over here he pointed the spot beside him see if you can find the strings i slid closer he he said some words louder now, so I could hear them. It wasn't English. When the ball didn't move, he cursed. Did I mention that I'm not Harry Potter? Let's try that again. He repeated the words slower, his gaze glued to the ball. It rose two inches. Now check the strings or wires or whatever you think is holding it up. I hesitated, but he prodded and teased me until he moved closer and poked my fingers between the ball and his hand. When I didn't hit anything, I slid all my fingers through and then waggled them. 
Simon's fist closed, grabbing my hand, and I yelped as the ball bounced across the concrete pad. Sorry, he said, grinning, his fingers still holding mine. I couldn't resist. Yes, I'm skittish, as your brother was probably pointed out. So, did you... I looked at the ball, coming to the rest on the grass. Wow. He, his grin grew. You believe me now? As I stared at the ball, I struggled for expl explanations. None came. Can you teach me how to do that? I said finally. Nah, the more you can teach me about... No more than you can teach me about seeing ghosts. Either you have it or... Playing basketball in the dark, Simon? Asked a voice across the yard. You should have called me. You know I'm always up for a little. Tori stopped, short, seeing me. Her gaze moved to my hand, still in his. One-on-one, -on -one, she finished. I yanked my fingers away. She kept staring. Hey, Tori, Simon said, retrieving the ball. What's up? I saw you playing and thought maybe you could use a partner. Her gaze swung my way, expression unreadable. I guess not. I should get inside. Thanks for the pointers, Simon. No, hold up. He took a step after me and a glance at Tori. Uh, right. Um, you're welcome. Uh, and it's getting dark, isn't it? It must be snack time by now. He hurried into the house. I lay in bed, unable to sleep again. This time, though it wasn't a bad dream that had kept me awake, but thoughts pining through, pining through my head, so shrill and intent, insistent that by midnight I was seriously considering a real kitchen raid uh, just to grab the tube of Tylenol that I'd seen there. I was a necromancer. Having a label should have come as a relief, but I wasn't sure this one was better than schizophrenic. At least schizophrenia was a known and accepted condition. I could talk to people about it, get helping coping mechanisms with it, take my meds, and make the symptoms go away. But those same meds might cover the symptoms of necromancy, but as Simon said, it was like coloring my hair. I'd still be the same underneath, my true nature waiting to pop up as soon as the medication wore off necromancy where had it come from my mother why didn't aunt lauren know about it from my father maybe he hadn't worked up the nerve to warn me and that's why he'd seen some guilty at the hospital so eager to help me and make me happy and comfortable or maybe neither of my parents or my aunt knew anything about it at all it could be a recessive gene one that skipped generations simon was lucky his dad must have told him about magic showed him how to use it my envy evaporated Lucky, he was stuck in a group home. His magic didn't seem to be getting him anywhere. Magic, that word came so easily if I had already accepted it. Had I? Should I? I'd spent days in denying that I'd seen ghosts, and now suddenly I had no problem believing in magic. I should be demanding and more demonstrations, coming up with alternative explanations. But I'd done that with myself, and now, having realizing, realized that I didn't see, that I really did see the dead... There was almost a comfort in accepting that I wasn't the only one out there with weird powers. And what about Derek? Simon said Derek was unnaturally strong. Was it magical? I'd felt that strength. I'd read his file, and I knew that the authorities had been stumped for a cause. As bizarre as it sounded, the explanation had almost made sense was the most far-fetched one, that people out here with powers found only in legends and movies, that they were part of it all. I almost laughed. It was like something out of a comic book. Kids with supernatural powers, like superheroes. Superheroes? Right. Somehow, I didn't think seeing ghosts or levitating basketballs was going to help us save the world from evil anytime soon. Both Derek and Simon... If both Derek and Simon had powers, is that how they'd ended up together as foster brothers? What had their dad told them? Did his disappearance have something to do with being magical? Why was it... Uh, sorry. Um, was that... Was that why the guys had enrolled in school under fake names and kept moving around? Is that why our kind had to do? Hide? 
the questions crowded in my brain, none of them willing to leave without answers. Answers I couldn't get at two in the morning. Then they bounced around in my head like Simon's basketball. After a while, I swore I could see them, orange balls bouncing around my head, back and forth, back and forth, until I fell asleep. A voice sliced through the heavy blanket of sleep, and I bolted up, fighting my way to consciousness. I gulped air as I surveyed the room, eyes and ears straining. All was silent and still. I glanced over at Ray. She was sound asleep. A dream. I started to lay back down. Wake up! The whisper floated through the half-open door. I lay down, resisting the urge to pull up the covers higher. I thought you weren't going to cover cower anymore. That's the plan, right? Not to ignore the voices, but to get answers, take control. I took a deep breath and then slipped out of bed and walked to the door. As the hallway the hallway was empty, I could hear the tick, 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 tick of the grandfather clock downstairs. As I turned, a pale shape flickered near a closed door down the hall. A closet, I presumed earlier. Was it what was it with the ghosts in this house? I crept down the hall and eased the door open. Stairs that led up. The attic. Uh-oh. This was as bad as the basement. Maybe even worse. I was following some ghost up there. Good excuse. It's not an... You don't want to talk to them. Not really. You don't want to know the truth. Great. Not only did I have to deal with Derek's taunts and jibes, but now my even inner voice was starting to sound like him. I took a deep breath and stepped inside.